So today's reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting at verse 14 until verse 47. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Thanks, Judith. Hi, everyone. Let me have my welcome to Mark's. Great to see you here. And a particular warm welcome if this is your first time with us, or if you're joining us from Inspire English, it's great to have you here. Let me pray for us before we look at this passage of Scripture together. Let's pray. We read Peter, Father, saying, listen carefully to what I say. We thank you so much, Father, for the privilege it is to hear, have you speak to us personally, intimately, as your word is read and preached to us. But we have that responsibility to listen carefully to what you want to say to us. Uh, Please give us those listening, humble, open hearts that you may minister your word to us, that we may leave here today transformed, changed, more excited and equipped for the mission that you have called us to as a church. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So today we're continuing our series in the New Testament book of Acts. Last week we saw one of the most significant events of all time at the day of Pentecost. And today we come to one of the most significant sermons of all time, also on the day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon. By the end of the day, by the end of the sermon, 3,000 people are added to the church. It's like every preacher's dream, revival. And from those original, three, from 120 to 3,000 on that first day, moves from 3,000 to 10 million roughly by 300 AD, and from that 10 million to over 2.3 billion Christian believers today. The explosive growth of the church around the world that continues to this day and it all started here with this sermon with the truths contained in it the person that Peter is focused on so what we're going to do is we take a look at this sermon together if you're someone here looking into the Christian message this will take you right to the heart of it why this message turned the world upside down back then and how it can turn your life around today and if you're someone here who calls himself a Christian, well, this is a reminder of what the message of Christianity is. 
We've been seeing the last few weeks that the Lord has given us, the church, a mission to spread the gospel message. Do you remember chapter 1, verse 8? The key verse in the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have a mission to spread the gospel message. We're empowered with the Spirit for that mission to spread the gospel message. But what is the gospel message exactly? Vital we are clear on that. And holding out the right message and not a wrong one. Not hiding away from the uncomfortable bits. But giving the full gospel. What is it? That is what this sermon will tell us today. So let's look at the sermon now. Um, it's, it's a long passage. A couple of years ago, we spent six weeks on it, and now we've just got 25 minutes on it. Um, but we're going to look at the context of it, we're going to look at the heart of it, and then we'll look at the purpose of it. Okay? And you'll see the points come up on the screen one by one. First of all, the context of the sermon and the need to say something. Just glance down at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Explain what to you? Explain what has just happened on the day of Pentecost when 120 of God's people miraculously start declaring the wonders of God in other languages, in all the languages of the nations, in languages they have never studied before. And verse 12, amazed and perplexed, the crowd, they ask one another, what does this mean? Can someone explain this to us? And verse 13, some of them made fun of them and said they've had too much to drink. There's your explanation. And it's into this context of confusion, it's into this context of misunderstanding that Peter stands up and raises his voice and delivers this sermon because he knows that he needs to explain to these people what is really going on. When the US Navy sends four warships to the waters just off the coast of Syria, what is going on? Is it just a military show of strength? Is it a bluff? Is it a training exercise? What does this mean? Are they about to bomb Syria? We need an explanation. We need to know for sure. Events require explanations, even if those explanations come with 400 and whatever it is characters on Twitter from the president. But once we have that explanation, then we know. And that is what Peter is doing here, explaining what is going on on Pentecost so that people can know. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Brilliant. One of the greatest sermons of all time, and there's always room for a touch of good humour. No, he says. Verse 16. What does this mean? I'll tell you what this means. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Here's the explanation, God's explanation, 700 years ago. In the last days, God says... I will pour out my spirit on all people. That is what is going on here. These people are not drunk. These people are filled with something so much better. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Everyone will prophesy like the great prophets of old. Moses, he always longed for this day. Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29, if you want the reference later. Like Isaiah, like Jeremiah. But now every believer, young and old, male and female, will speak up for God, speak for God, will prophesy the very truths of God. That is what is going on here. They are not drunk. And it's not just Peter, by the way who can speak like this, even though he, of course, has a unique role here to explain what is going on at Pentecost. But as you go through Acts, every Christian believer is starting to stand up and speak for God and speak the message. And we have that same spirit today. Actually, we have all of God's word, all of God's will. We have the complete message here. And every time you stand up and speak this message You are explaining to the world what is really going on. The questions people are asking today, we all ask, what does this mean, life? Why am I here? Who am I? Where have I come from? Where am I going to? And if we don't stand up and if we don't speak up, well, there is a lot of confusion. There is a lot of misunderstanding. But what an opportunity we have to stand up like Peter and boldly speak out the truths that God has revealed to us and tell people what is really going on in this world. Notice also, by the way, that Peter is doing this in a public setting. And we're told today to keep our faith private, that there's no room for faith in the public sphere. Peter is speaking here to his fellow Jews and to all who live in Jerusalem. Don't hold back. Don't keep the message of God in Scripture private. That would be very selfish of us. This message is for everyone. God has entrusted the church with this message to stand up and to speak out this gospel message today. Will you do that? Now, at this point, you might say, okay, but what is this gospel message? I hear God calling us out. What is the message exactly? Let's move on secondly to the heart of the sermon. And if you glance down to verses 22 to 36, we can see that the heart of Peter's sermon is all about Jesus Christ. The church is filled with the Spirit, and what does the church do? It speaks about him. To be Spirit-filled is to be Christ-centered. His life, verse 22, his death, verse 23, his resurrection, verse 24 to 32, his ascension, verse 33 to 36. We don't have time to go into all of this in detail. Do check out that sermon series online from a couple of years ago that I mentioned. For now, briefly, let me run you through these four key truths about Jesus at the heart of our message today. First, his life, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, a human being, 
but no ordinary human being, because this was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Read any of the Gospels. Read the first part of this, Luke. And people have never seen anyone like Jesus, heard anyone, witnessed the things he did, the teaching he came up with, the miracles, the wonders, the signs. No one has had the sort of influence that Jesus Christ has had. The author and English historian H.G. Wells once said of Jesus Christ, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very centre of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history, his life. And not just his life, but his death, verse 23, which was not some tragic mistake. Mark verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Humanity's lowest moment, killing the Son of God. There has been no more evil act ever on record, and yet such is God's sovereignty that he can use this evil act, part of his deliberate plan and foreknowledge for the forgiveness of sins and the offer of salvation to the whole world. His death. Never has there been such a dark day. Never will there be such a bright dawn. Whatever you are facing, whatever you are going through today, the evil you are up against, God can turn even that for good. The death of Jesus Christ, the heart of human history. And not just his death, but his resurrection, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. That word agony in the original Greek is the word often used for birth pains. As God raises him from the it's like a new birth, but it's, it's a birth like no other birth, because this is a birth to eternal resurrection life. Never to die again. Can you imagine that? We probably can't. William Shakespeare, Richard II, woe, destruction, ruin and decay. The worst is death and death will have his day. The psychiatrist Carl Jung Death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. A human being is torn away from us and what remains is the icy stillness of death. Or as my three-year-old daughter put it to me the other month, Daddy, I don't want to die. People say, people joke, we live, we die, we rot. Except... Verse 23, 32, sorry. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Again, a public event with a public explanation. God's explanation of Psalm 16, he always said the Messiah would do this. And it has come a reality in space, time, history. 
I hope we can see that Christianity has never been some private spiritual experience, that Christianity was born in some sort of hidden corner of the world where a few people in the, new, in the know claimed it and you couldn't check it. Christianity has always been public events with public explanations so that we can look into it and test the evidence and test the facts and examine them. Dr. Brooke Westcott, the English scholar, literary giant, spent years studying the scriptures in light of history. He said this about the resurrection. Taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historical incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've never looked into it, please, I encourage you to do so. Eternal resurrection life, truly possible and available after death. And finally, there's Jesus' ascension in verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. These people are not drunk. This is the new era in God's salvation plan. This is the age of the Spirit, the church filled with the Spirit, now speaking for God, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Salvation in him, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. That is the heart of Peter's sermon. That is to be the heart of our message today. Can I ask, is it your message? Are we speaking lots and lots about Jesus Christ? His life. A life like no other, a perfect life, the life we fail to live. His death. A death you and I deserve because it's a death for our sin, for the forgiveness of sin. His resurrection, death defeated, eternal resurrection life after the grave, his ascension, he's alive today, he's risen, he's ruling the church from heaven, he's filled the church with his spirit, and we're on a mission to take that message to the ends of the earth. Is this our message? Are we focused on Jesus Christ? Not telling people what they must do for God, but sharing with them what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. Not talking generally about God. There are lots of so-called gods out there. But speaking specifically about Jesus Christ, his unique life, his unique death, his unique resurrection, his unique ascension. Salvation is found in no one else. We need to be speaking about him. Are we doing that? He is the centerpiece of history. He is the heart of God's salvation plan. The context of the sermon, the heart of the sermon. Thirdly, the purpose of the sermon. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So what's the purpose of Peter's sermon? Simple, salvation. That his hearers will be saved. And you can almost hear the urgency, the passion in his voice. Repent, be baptized. He's warning them. He's pleading with them. Turn to Jesus Christ. Repent, that's what repent means, to turn around, turn to him. Say sorry for your sin, receive the forgiveness of sins. Have the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have just been filled with. Salvation is not automatic. Peter is preaching for a response. People need to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Not that Peter's forcing it on them. In verse 37, the people ask, you know, what must we do? And Peter's telling them, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That is what you must do. I know that phrase in verse 40, corrupt generation, can sound quite strong. To be corrupted just means to be distorted from one's original purpose. And humanity's original purpose is to know God and to live for God in relationship with God. Humanity is not as bad as it could be. Humanity is flawed. It's like a distorted masterpiece. As our hearts have turned away from God to other things that are no substitute at all. And even though we don't deserve it for the way we've treated God, Peter is now saying there is still a way of salvation. There is a chance to be restored. To have relationship with God again, the relationship you were always made for. But there needs to be a response. You need to admit your sin. You need to say sorry for your sin. You need to turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Now look, we find this difficult to admit our sin. We find this very hard to do. If you were with us on the Real Change course, you'll remember week two, all those ways we deflect our sin, avoid our sin, make excuses for our sin, blame shift, do anything but admit our sin. but we need to. And it's only when we do admit our sin and turn to Jesus Christ that real change comes, forgiveness, transformation from the inside out, fullness of life now through death into eternity. Now you might say, well, look, how do I do it? How do I get to that point to admit my sin if we all find it so hard? Look at verse 37. The people were cut to the heart. That is what we need, you and I need. A supernatural work of the Spirit at the very core of our being. Fascinating image here for the Spirit, like an expert surgeon that can slice and cut away layer upon layer upon layer of our deflections and avoidance techniques and faking it and covering up who we really are because we don't want other people to see what we're like, let alone God, let alone ourselves. But he can cut through right 
from the core of our being and lay us bare before God. And only then, as we see ourselves as we truly are, will we admit our sin, only then will we turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. That is what Peter's encouraging his hearers to do, to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. I've got to ask, have you done that? There is nothing more important in life than this. It is a question of life and death. It is a question of heaven and hell. And if you have done that, are you warning and pleading with others to do the same, as Peter is doing with his hearers here? Eternal destinies are at stake. The purpose of the sermon is to be our purpose too. The final thing to see from Peter's sermon is that this salvation is not just individual, but there is a communal reality to it too. And we'll finish here. Let me read verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is the church, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Lots on in here about the early church. Notice for now how Jesus Christ draws Christian believers together into a united community. I'm not sure if you've ever been at a party or some social event and you didn't know anybody there and you're trying to talk to people uh, but it's all very superficial, small talk, it's not really going very far and then suddenly you find yourself in a conversation with someone that you have something in common with. Um, You grew up in the same place. You support the same sports team. You love the same book and film, and suddenly the conversation starts flowing. And you're drawn to this person, and you feel this bond with this person. And in a much deeper way, that is what happens when you become a Christian. You find yourself drawn to other people, this intimate bond with other people who share this common experience of being cut to the heart by the Spirit and who have received the forgiveness of sins and have been filled with the Spirit, and are on a mission together to the ends of the earth. Salvation is never purely an individual experience. There is a corporate reality to it. We are members together of the church, the body of Christ. And it's just so attractive when we live this out as the early church did. Enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord adding to their number daily. And again, what an opportunity we have as we are standing up for Jesus, speaking up for him, to do so in word. Absolutely, that's always primary, key, vital, central. But also to do it and backed up with deed 
in the way we are loving one another, sharing life together, meals together, studying the scriptures together, praying together, having everything in common. Wow, what a challenge that is. Helping one another in need. And win the favor of the people and have more and more people added to our number daily. So as we're out on mission, we are calling people to the Lord Jesus Christ for personal salvation. We are also calling people to the church on a mission together to the ends of the earth. And that's Peter's sermon. The context of it, we need to stand up. Events require explanation. God has entrusted us, the church, with the message. Let's stand up, speak out. As we do that, the heart of the sermon, it's all about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Salvation only comes through him. We've got to be talking about him. The purpose of the sermon, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to call people to respond. This is our message. Do you believe it? Then let's get out there and share it. Let me pray that for us now. Let me pray. Father God, thank you very much indeed for this sermon by your Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost and what it shows us about the need to stand up for Jesus today amidst confusion, amidst misunderstanding. But as we do so, the message we are sharing is the message focused exclusively on your son, the person Jesus Christ. Would we speak much of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that salvation comes only by faith in him and would we call people to do just that? To turn to him, to repent, to believe, to have their sins forgiven, to receive the gift of the Spirit, to have their lives turned around for eternity. Give us grace as we do that. Give us patience Would we be dependent on the Spirit? Would we ask for opportunities? And certainly when people ask, what must we do? What does this mean? As the people do here, please, would we be bold to stand up and speak out? And as we do this, Father, we pray that you would add to our number daily, weekly, monthly, annually, and beyond. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.